and rain coming through. In fact, we, uh, after sharing the, uh, the seminar, I turned on the, uh, the radio station. I'm on 66 heading out to Manassas and going through Fairfax. And uh, they were talking about a uh, tornado. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is wild. But anyway, we made it safe and sound, and it's great to be with you. Uh, can we put up the slide with my family up there? Uh, my wife, Ellen, uh, in the back there with me. Uh, as Pastor Stan said, she's speaking on the eastern shore this morning. And uh, my daughter, Katie, would be on your far left. She is a, uh, just graduated from James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Go Dukes! And uh, the good thing is, is not that she graduated, and that's good, but she graduated on a Saturday, and the following Monday, she got a job with the university. So that's really good. And in fact, um, the Lord is calling her, uh, and she's in the process of looking to become a missionary in the country of Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. And some tremendous opportunities have opened up, so pray for our daughter Katie. In the middle is our daughter Emily. Uh, she is also at JMU, and uh, she is in her second year, and uh, she feels called especially to the Arab people, uh, the Muslims. And then uh, here on the front row is our son, Tim, uh, who is 16. Uh, he's going into uh, his junior year of high school, and Tim will be going back to Spain with us. Uh, of course, our girls, they were with us in Spain. Uh, they came back to go to college, uh, but Tim will be going back to uh, Spain with us. So we are currently home uh, right now, uh, trying to raise our support again to go back and to do what God has called us. And uh, we're really excited about it. Go to the next slide. We started a ministry in downtown Madrid called Oasis Center. Now, you've got to understand, in Madrid, we have a neighborhood called Lavapiés that used to be, the, was believed to have been the Jewish quarter before 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And in 1492, when the Catholic kings uh, made the final conquest in the south and the Muslims were expelled, uh, so were the Jewish population as well as the Muslims. And our neighborhood drastically changed. But in our neighborhood, uh, we have 10,000 Muslims in a five-block New York City radius. Yeah, wow. And in our neighborhood, you, we have over 80 nations. It's a neighborhood that has many difficulties, many problems, but the Lord has called us. And many of them come from places that are very difficult. Go to the next slide. Many of them have come from places uh, like West Africa, North Africa, and some of them have made a journey uh, by boat. I don't know about you. I don't even know if I'd go out into the Chesapeake Bay on that boat. And uh, they go 900 miles out into the open Atlantic to the Canary Islands, which are uh, territories of Spain, in order to be able to find a better life. And then others of them will make a 2,500-mile journey to, uh, across the Sahara Desert to reach the northern coast of Africa and to be able to cross over to Spain, which is only about eight miles and so many of them have come. In fact, in Spain, uh, we have about 2 million Muslims in Spain. And so Spain has drastically changed. I want to show you a video. It's a video of some of their journey, a little bit about that, but also our ministry of Oasis Center, where we're ministering to some of the felt needs. Uh, God has sent us partners, uh, volunteers from Latin America, from other parts of Africa, from Europe, from Spain, from the U.S., and... Um, Here's a short video that tells you a little bit about the ministry of Oasis Center. 
we can go ahead and play that.
Thank you. So that's a little bit about Oasis Center. You know, we uh, teach some classes. We have language classes like Spanish. Many of them that come, they've never had an opportunity to learn Spanish. Uh, I remember during one of our first classes, we asked them, we said, well, our students, we had about 20. We said, well, can you write your name and your address? And uh, not one of them could write their name or their address in Spanish. And so we decided not to have level one, two, three of Spanish. We said, we're going to have survival Spanish. And uh, so we started to teach them. And, and we also have a literacy class for some of the Arab women you saw there uh, that were veiled. And uh, they've never had a chance to read or write in any language. It's not that they're not smart, intelligent. They are. They just never had opportunities. So some of them are reading and writing for the very first time. I remember one, our, one of the week when... Um, one of our teachers, she put a sentence on the board and Rachma, she read it out. She sounded it out the very first time in her life that she ever had a chance to read. And uh, when she said the sentence, she said it correctly, the dozen ladies that were there gave a spontaneous applause. And I'm sitting back in my office, I'm thinking, God, I think you're smiling in delight at what is going on. So go to the next slide. So we offer different classes but they come to Madrid with the hopes and dreams, yet few have ever met followers of Jesus. Go to the next slide. And so some of the classes, uh, for instance, with the children, uh, with legal work, various things. Go to the next slide. Our goal is that to help Muslims fall in love with Jesus and become followers of him. And that's what we're after. Amen. As they encounter Jesus, Jesus can change their lives. And that's what we're seeing. So people that come that say, wow, you guys are different kinds of Christians. We haven't met people like you before. I mean, you have to understand, in Europe, less than 3% of the European continent would claim to be born again. That's lower than Latin America, Africa, and Asia. In fact, I don't know if you know this, in Spain, less than 1% of the Spaniards themselves consider themselves born again. And so, you have almost 2 million Muslims coming into a country with so few workers, it's hard for Muslims to encounter followers of Jesus that can share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, that's why God has called us and that's why we're there. So, we're excited about what, go, what is going on. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'd like to speak to you for a few moments about what God is doing, but uh, also to share something that I believe that uh, will encourage your hearts. Let me just say before we begin... Outside the door, uh, there's uh, our, our display. If you'd like to take a prayer card, uh, put it on your refrigerator. Uh, maybe if you commute here in D.C., you know, uh, you can put it there in your dash. Or, you know, if you're, if you're not a smoker, pull it out and put it in your, your uh, cigarette tray there or whatever. And just and pray for us because, uh, you know, sometimes out there on the Beltway, there's a lot of stop traffic and you have time. So it's a good place to... Uh, to pray for the missionaries and what God is doing. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into His harvest field. We live in a time when 
people have many opinions about just about everything. In fact, I find it interesting working with Muslims when we talk to Muslims about Jesus. I love to ask Muslims, well, what do you think about Jesus? Sometimes Muslims, they will pat their heart and they'll say, well, we love Jesus. Now, they don't know and love Jesus like maybe I know and love Jesus, but what they're saying is we respect Jesus. In fact, Muslims will tell you that Jesus was one of the greatest prophets. In fact, some will say even behind their prophet Muhammad. Others will tell you that Jesus was a great worker, that Jesus was a great man. He was one of the greatest prophets. In fact, it's interesting. In the Quran, Jesus is the only one that is sinless. Jesus is the only one born by the Virgin Mary. And so often, Muslims, they, they, they get these little bits and pieces and, and they have a respect for Jesus, but they've never encountered somebody who can really explain to them more about who Jesus is. Even in a country like Spain that is very secular, very humanistic. In fact, in Spain, in Madrid, we have one of the highest levels of cocaine in all of Europe. High levels of prostitution, high levels of problems politically, socially, economically. In fact, over one of the last quarters, in fact, I think it was the last quarter of last year, Spain had an unemployment rate of almost 25%. In fact, of young Spaniards, 25 years and younger, the unemployment rate was 49% and we beat Greece. (laughs) Right now, economically, you don't want to beat Greece in anything. In fact, the, the new administration in Spain has now raised the, uh, the sales tax to 21%. Crisis. All the Muslims, when, we, when Ellen and I and our family, when we went to Spain five years ago, we, we, we had worked in Mexico and we worked with unreached people groups with the missions agency. We've been missionaries since 1994. And so we've been around. And, and yet when we went to Spain, there was such a glut of... of, of Immigrants coming into Spain that for one year we lost, they lost our paperwork. There's lots of crises, lots of problems, yet Spaniards have never talked to anybody who's really a follower of Jesus. I remember Ellen and I, uh, just about a year and a half ago, we were in southern Spain at a conference about reaching out to Muslims, and we were staying in a hotel, and, and this Spanish lady who had probably never talked to a follower of Christ before, uh, and, and she says, well, who are you people? I notice there's something different about you. Now, the conference was about Muslims, okay, but we're in the dining room, and she's the waitress. And she's saying, there's something different about you. She says, who are you? I said, well, we're followers of Christ. I mean, to say to her, we're Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because she really doesn't know, I mean, how is that defined? Because broadly, she would be Christian. You know, because in the world there are people who are Christians because they're not Hindu, Buddhist, or Muslim. They're just Christian from that background. And so she says to me, she says, so... Who are you? I said, well, we're followers of Christ. Followers of Jesus. She said, oh, Jesus. I like Jesus. And I looked at her, and I had never said this to anyone before, and I looked at her, and I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit, and I says, you know what? Jesus likes you. Suddenly, her countenance changed. She kind of did a blank, and she said, Jesus likes me? I said, yeah. 
I said, have you ever read about, have you ever read the words of Jesus? She says, you know, I got two Bibles. I got one Bible that's really thick and big with lots of notes. Why do you need all those notes to understand? I've got a smaller one. And, and, and no, I really haven't. And I said, well, you know, they do make a Bible where you can read the words of Jesus. They're like in a different color, like red. She said, they make a Bible like that? I said, yeah, you can go to a bookstore and you can buy it. And I encourage you, read the words of Jesus because He likes you. And she was so deeply moved and touched. And so Jesus is ministering in a time when there were lots of problems, there were political upheavals. At the time, even the whole idea of the Messiah, of the Christ, was political. There were times in which you had revolutionaries and revolts and rumors of war and thoughts and hopes and aspirations and and people who you thought was on your side, but really they were traitors with the Romans. And and there was all of these difficulties and problems. And of course, there were people who were suffering from severe poverty with too much month at the end of their money. People that were trying to make it, and yet Jesus comes in that context. The very time that Jesus came into the world was a time ordained by God from before the creation of the world. And so often when we read into the Scriptures, we glance over some things, but people were desperate. People who needed to be touched that the doctors couldn't take care of them. And they were hearing a message of, Hope, it was a message of authority that Jesus would say. In fact, they would say of Jesus, He speaks with an authority that even our religious leaders don't have. What is it different about Jesus? I had a Muslim leader ask me, he said, Mark, why don't more Christians follow the words of their prophet Jesus? I thought, you know, that's a really good question. Pastor Stan, you might have asked that question. Why don't more of us follow the words of Jesus? But I think it goes beyond that. I don't think it's just only following the words of Jesus. What is it about Jesus that motivates Jesus in our world? With all the noise, with all the static going on in a politically charged environment, with all the crisis, both natural and who knows for whatever reasons, and people are wondering what is going on in the, in the Muslim world. You know, this week we're going to celebrate the 11th anniversary of 9-11, and, and, and people think, well, how can bombs and bullets be such a radical ideology? Friends, what I've found is only the Gospel of Jesus Christ is able to transform people from the inside. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is working in the Muslim world. Whether they be in Washington, D.C., whether they be in Madrid, or whether they be in Kabul, Afghanistan. God is at work. And what is it that motivated Jesus? And what is it that speaks to us? And in difficult times, no matter how the crisis has affected you, or whether you've been blessed, or whether you've suffered setbacks, Today, what is it as a follower of Jesus that can speak to us in difficult times? Because, friends, I believe the greater days are ahead. I don't believe the greater days are behind. I believe the days ahead are bright as the promises of God. 
I know there are those who are just waiting to escape, waiting to get out, but I believe that there is a great harvest that God wants to bring in. I haven't seen anything in Scripture that negates what Jesus says, that the harvest is great. It's plentiful. It's sufficient. But the questions, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do no matter what your situation is today? No matter if you receive news this week that somehow the doctors have, have diagnosed some sickness, whether your job says, we're going to cut back in 2013, I don't know what your situation is. But I believe that God, as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a bigger purpose you have a bigger purpose than just simply coming and sitting on a pew on Sunday morning, making the commute into the city, trying to take care of your family. When you get bored, go to the mall and walk around because you don't have any money. I want to tell you, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And if this morning, if the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart, I believe God wants to elevate this church, Rockville Assembly of God, Pastor Stan, to a whole nother level. followers of Jesus. Do you love Jesus? If a Muslim were to ask you, what do you think of Jesus? How do you respond? What is it that motivates you to come on a Sunday morning? What is it that would motivate some of those who came out yesterday to a seminar to hear about reaching out to Muslims? What is it to go down and work in the nursery, work with the kids? Why are we here? And yet here, I think, when we look at the life of Jesus, I think all of us would agree that He was completely committed. In probably one of the most dangerous and difficult times. And yet in many ways, it's parallel to us. And so as we look at Jesus, what do we learn? Well, the first thing I think we learn about being committed, like Jesus, in difficult times to discovering your purpose, is to ask the question, what do I see? You know, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages and preaching and healing. And Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Now... Many of us are moved by infomercials. Whether it be about orphans and the starving, those are legitimate things. But there's something deeper here in Jesus that in the New Testament, it uses this word compassion, that it's only used of Jesus or used in a parable that Jesus uses. It's a sense in the New Testament that it describes an attitude that characterizes the divine nature of what He was doing. It's more than just a human emotion, but a deep motive for what He did. It was as though He was stirred in His bowels, if you will. There was this deep stirring of compassion Jesus looking out upon the masses of people and He's deeply moved. 
Can I tell you that when he looks out at the Muslim world, 1.5 billion, and whether one of them is your neighbor next door at work, I don't care what their nature is, their character is like, if they're, if they're a good person or they're someone who's hard to get along with, Jesus looks out upon them with compassion. He defines it a little more. He says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Washington, D.C., we're so far removed from pastoring sheep. But maybe some of you come from places where you grew up on a farm. You grew up around sheep. And as you know, sheep are not the most brilliant animals. And sometimes when they would be lost, they would go and they would wander around. And when they would get to a point of crisis, they would just lay down. Paralysis analysis. Sometimes they would be injured by a ravagous animal, and other times the thorn bush might, might poke them and they're bleeding and, and, and they're just wandering. And the idea is that they're helpless and harassed. That's what moved Jesus. So, you, my friend, no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is at the water fountain, somebody comes up and just says, Man, the doctors just give me no hope. I just wonder if there's a sense where you can feel the presence of the Lord and you can sense His compassion for them. We have kids coming into Oasis Center who have had the opportunity to go to school and Spain has a very rigorous school system, a lot of memorization, and not all the kids have books. But the problem is, between the ages of 8 and 12 especially, that when these kids go home, Mom and Dad, no habla español. Mom and Dad can't read or write in Spanish. So how can they help their kids with their homework? And in our neighborhood, if you don't make it until the age 12, it's not going to go real well with the drugs and the things on the streets that get kids into a lot of trouble. And yet, so for us, we got some volunteers from, El, from Honduras that came over to work with us. And, and there they, 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 they said, okay, we can, we can give you Tuesday afternoons. The kids come in with their big mochilas, with their backpacks, and, and they come and their, their homework, and they sit at the tables, and the, our, our, our staff are helping them with their homework. And, and the kids... Pretty soon they start looking at it and they say, you know, you're different kinds of Christians. Tell us what kind of Christians you are. And our people are able to tell them about Jesus. See, people around when they're harassed and hurting, it's so easy to blame them. It's so easy to castigate them. To tell them what they lack. They don't need a revelation of what they lack. They need a revelation of what they need, and that's Jesus. And will we be people of love and compassion? You know, I was standing outside of Oasis Center. We had just started it, and we had a sign there of the different activities we were offering. And the truth of the matter is, 15 minutes before, my wife and I decided to offer English. And so we put it out there on the sign, and I had some Senegalese Wolofs from West Africa. They're standing there, they're looking at the sign. And I'm walking out, and there walks by this imam. You know, an imam is like a Muslim cleric preacher. And 
So he comes walking by, and I'd met him before, and I mean, he's got the skull cap, he's got the tunic, he's got the beard, you know, kind of looks like a poster boy for Al-Qaeda or something. And, and so he comes walking by, and I said, hey, hey. And so we do the, the, the Arabic greeting, assalamu alaikum, wa alaikum salam. And, and, you know, in Arab culture, when you know each other, you hug until somebody runs out of gas. And, and you know, you're just kind of going through the whole thing. And, and then finally in our conversation, he looks up at the Oasis Center sign. He says, Mark, why Oasis Center? Why are you here? Now understand, there's five mosques in our neighborhood. There's not one Bible-believing church. An Oasis Center is not a church. We're, we're, we're an outreach, but we're an extension of the church because we're followers of Jesus. And how many know Rockville Assembly of God is not just the building? It's when you leave out those doors, the church goes wherever it is you go. Come on. The church is us. It's not just the building. I mean, thank God for this sheep shed. Praise God. But you're the sheep. Does that make sense? And so this imam says, well, why are you doing this? And I said, well, the reason we're doing this is because in our book, the Bible, it says that we're to love God with all of our being and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I pointed to the guys and said, that's what we're trying to do here in this neighborhood. He said, wow. He says, do you offer English? Because we were speaking in Spanish. He says, do you offer an English class? I said, yeah. Now, we just decided 15 minutes before. Yeah, we do. He said, can I sign up? I said, yeah, here's the list. So he signs up. Then he goes out and talks to them and says, and you guys need to sign up too. And they did. And that was our first students for our English class. Because we love God. We love our neighbor. The compassion of Jesus that meets people where they are. What do you see? Jesus saw with compassion. The second thing we discover is Jesus ministering and saying they're helpless, they're harassed in verse 37. Then He said to His disciple, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus asks, what should we It's not just, what do I see, but what should I do? And it speaks to us of conviction. Jesus' conviction was, we should do something. He says, there's a harvest. He says, it's plentiful. And unless workers go, it will rot in the fields. Again, maybe if you've had a garden, if you've gone on vacation and you come back and nobody took care of your garden, the tomatoes are rotting on the vine. Because when you have a harvest, you need harvesters. Now probably Jesus is talking about a wheat, but He's talking about needing the laborers. What is our conviction? What does it look like? Is your family a Great Commission family? Are you those that dedicate part of your resource, part of your prayer to the worldwide task that Jesus' name would be glorified among the nations? That it wouldn't just be among these flags, but it would be the people, the ethnic groups that are represented under money, and many of them. 
For instance, we're working with mainly Moroccans and Senegalese and Bengalis, and, and, and their names are, might be under those flags, but in Spain, they're, it's different because they're immigrants. Talk to an imam up in Baltimore at a mega mosque. He said, when Muslims come to America, they lose three things in the first three generations. He said, the first generation tends to lose the food, the taste for their food back home. He said, the, genera- the second generation tends to lose the language of their parents and their grandparents back home. And he said, in the third generation tends to lose their faith. And it is in that vacuum in which... Islam, Muslims are trying to struggle and trying to politically, socially, economically, educationally are trying to make it. And that's where followers of Jesus, we come in because it's about Jesus. Jesus can transform their lives. What should we do? I don't know if you know this or not, but since 9-11, more Muslims have come to know Jesus Christ personally and to become ardent followers of Him. More Muslims in the last 10 years than the 1,400 years previously that Islam has existed since just 9-11. I don't know if you know this or not, but they estimate 86% of the 1.5 billion Muslims have never once met a Christian, let alone someone who can tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, you can't give what you don't have. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't give Jesus. And many of those who fall under the name Christian are cultural Christians. And so it's people like you and me. It's people like us that are Convicted that Jesus' name needs to be glorified among these nations. Jesus says, the workers are few. In the Muslim world, it's estimated that of all, thank God for every missionary that God sends around the world. And I'm not just talking about from America. I'm talking about places like India. I'm talking about places like South Korea. I'm talking about some of these other places that were missions recipients now are also mission senders. But even of all the missionaries worldwide, it's estimated that among the 1.5 billion Muslims, Only 6% of all missionaries work among the Muslims. And then we wonder why we have to have a war on terror. Because the enemy of our soul, the devil, he tricks and he deceives. And I wonder that when we send workers to those who have never heard and the good news of Jesus transforms their lives like He's transformed yours and mine. How this world would be different. Friends, how different would this world be if everyone followed the words of Jesus? How different our community would be? How different, Pastor Stan, our church would be? How different our homes would be? 
how different our lives would be. What should we do? The last is when Jesus looked out at the harvest. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. What's the therefore? What was previous? That there's an abundance of harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out. The word is ekvalo. It's a word often even used when Jesus would cast out demons. It's a violent word. Not that Jesus was violent, but it was a word that, 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 that gave a, a thrust to thrust out. To throw into His harvest field. That's the prayer of Jesus. And it's the prayer of Jesus for you, my friend. For you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it was Jesus' prayer that is still ongoing that laborers would be thrust out into the harvest fields. It's not just in places like Madrid and places like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, China. It's places also like Washington, D.C., Montgomery County. That God isn't just wanting us to say, well, I'll just reach Montgomery County, praise God. When there's 1.5 billion that have never heard worldwide, I believe it's both and. It's not either or. This morning I'm trying to challenge you. I'm trying to challenge us that when Jesus, the question was not just what do I see with compassion, not just what should I do with conviction, but what will I do when it speaks of commitment? Compassion alone is not enough. The tears for the needy is not enough. Conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it's not enough. What He wants to combine is with that compassion, with that conviction, to say, what will I do? A Savior left up in heaven is no good for humanity. But Jesus came and dwelt among us. He became that sacrifice, as Pastor talked about at communion, so that men and women, boys and girls, no matter what they were born into, their situation, their lives could be changed by Jesus Christ. Do you hear it this morning? Do you hear Him saying, what will you do? Do you hear the Spirit bidding? Do you see the faces of that co-worker, of that neighbor? Maybe the one that was hard to get along, but something the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart. Well, maybe there's something. Maybe I need to at least start praying. What about that list of missionaries that are called to places like the Muslims in Europe, among places in West Africa, among the Middle East, and places like Afghanistan. I mean, do we really care? And what will we do? Friends, you're only responsible to do your part. Friends, you are not responsible. I'm not responsible to win the whole world to Jesus. I am responsibility to do my part in winning the world to Jesus.
And if you do your part and I do my part, God is doing His part. Pastor has these faith promise forms. Do we pass those out? Pull one out if you'd like. This faith promise form, friends, represents people who've never heard the gospel. Missionaries don't go where they're wanted. Missionaries go where they're needed. And when you see this faith promise form, do you see paper or do you see people? Do you see just a slip of paper? Oh, the money, the church is trying to get more of my money. Or do you see, wow, if I really understand what this is about, my family, my church gets to partner among some of the most difficult places and people in the world. And what God has blessed me, whether it be little or in much, I get to partner with God, I get to partner with them, and we get to see a harvest brought in in answer to Jesus' prayer. What is faith promise? Friends, faith promise is not a tithe. Faith promise is not a missions offering that is already in your budget. Faith promise is something very different. And it's something that really in this economy, it's perfect. Do you know why? Because faith promise is saying to the Lord, Okay, Jesus, how do you want to bless me this year? What do you want to put in my hands so that I can help other people in other parts of the world hear the good news of Jesus Christ? You go to prayer... You ask the Lord, Lord, what is it this year? Let's just say the Lord puts on your heart a thousand bucks. You say, Mark, I don't have a thousand dollars. And I can give you a thousand reasons why I don't have a thousand dollars. But what if in this year, between you and the Lord, you felt He wanted to give, put through your hands a thousand dollars? And what if the refrigerator goes out? You say, oh, great, Lord. Now... I made this pledge, and by the way, the church isn't going to come knocking on your door saying, where's the money? This is between you and God. It's something that you pass in by faith to the church just so the leadership knows what the Holy Spirit is doing so that as they talk about projects and missionaries that they kind of know what the Spirit is saying. But let's say you go home and your refrigerator's out. and I mean, what does a refrigerator cost? Five, six hundred bucks? Thousand bucks? Let's say it costs $1,000. And let's say you, you say, wow, Lord, you know, I, I make a pledge and now my refrigerator goes out. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, okay? And then suddenly, you say, okay, well, let's go to Best Buy. There is Best Buy here, right? And let's just say the manager is a really swell chap. And he says, you know, there's a, there's, there's a floor model here. I mean, you're looking at the $1,000 model and you're thinking, I don't even have it and, and we just barely can scrape together to buy it. And, and you look on the back and there's a little ding. And the manager says, you know what? We just, this was last year's model. We want to clear it out. I'll tell you what, we'll take $200 off. You say, yes, I can put up with a ding on the side. Then what do you do with the $200 you just saved? Maybe God just provided 200 for you. 
My wife and I have seen this happen over and over and over. That as you begin to say, Lord, help me to find ways to be able to create wealth to advance your kingdom. Because this faith promise is not, look what I've done. But it's rather, Lord, look what you have done. What have you done? See, when God begins to stir your heart by faith, it's not manipulation, it's not pressure, but it's something that if you hear the voice of God, you can be assured He will provide if you will look for it. Pastor Stan has in the bulletin that your missions pledges, the goal is $3,000. What is that, for 2012, 2013? You're not quite halfway. But what would happen this morning if the Lord started to speak to some of your hearts? You give offerings, you give your tithe, but you just say, Lord, I just, I just have a number that just dropped in my heart, Lord. I just, it's scary by faith. Jesus, I'm going to believe you this year for. Friends, I believe you can meet the $3,000 a month. Do you know why? It's not for the glory of Rockville Assembly of God. It's that the Lord's fame would be known throughout the nations of the world. It's that Muslims would hear about Jesus. It's places like Oasis Center and what other missionaries that you've heard that will be coming in the weeks ahead are talking about doing. It's a way that you get to partner firsthand. You know, when you pay your taxes, you don't have any say where that money goes. But when you give faith promise, as a body of Christ you know where it goes. And it makes an eternal impact. For us, we are in process of getting our visa to return to Spain. The Spanish embassy in D.C., when they give us our visa, which could take anywhere from two to four to six months, when they give us that visa... We only have days to get back to Spain or we lose our residency. For us in the Assemblies of God, the way it works is we raise our money for four years. Churches make commitments. They'll say, by faith, we're going to partner with the canons as the Lord provides. This is what we're doing. And as Pastor Stan was saying, that as a church, that his, his desire is that the church would come alongside. Not just us, but the whole list of other missionaries both in the States and around the world. But here's the way it works. The only way to do